Paul says some pretty heavy things in this text. So we just want to be upfront about that. And we want to hear what God has to tell us today. So this is Titus chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 10. We'll read first few verses together that will be on the screen. And then I will finish up that chapter. As soon as it's on the screen. There we go. Titus 1 starting not in verse 1, but in verse 10, which is what's on the screen. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans, they're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure But their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Father, we want to hear what you have said and what you are saying. Holy Spirit, you inspired this so long ago to a very particular situation, and yet it is you who inspired it, and it is you who is present with us today, and it is you that we're dependent upon to speak into our lives so that we can hear what we need to hear and to see Jesus more clearly, for we ask this all in your name. Amen. So you may be seated. So Paul's been telling Titus to put in order what remains. And when you put in order what remains, part of what you need to do is appoint what we were calling servant leaders. He calls elders or overseers. Do that. And as he goes into this section, he has some really hard things to say that are not always easy to know how to understand and how to take. So we want to be very careful with how we listen to what God is saying here. Last week we discussed how this idea of sound doctrine, the word sound is also healthy. Doctrine is teaching. So it's really about healthy teaching, how this sound doctrine is necessary for the church. And therefore today we want to look at this. Communities of grace feed on healthy doctrine. Okay, I know that like this idea of doctrine can sometimes be high and lofty and unpractical. Hopefully what we hear from Paul, God through Paul, is going to be helpful for us to understand. We need to feed on healthy doctrine if we want to be any kind of community of grace that gives grace to each other. So with this... He does two things. He talks about standing against unhealthy doctrine and then also teaching what aligns with healthy, healthy doctrine. So those are the two big categories. The second one we're going to look at later. We're not going to look at that today. The first one is what we're going to focus in on today because that's what, that's what we just read. Stand against unhealthy or unsound doctrine. What does this look like? How do we go about doing this if we want to be communities of grace? Well, Paul says this. He says, be aware, be clear, and be purified. 
So we're going to look at each of those sections. Be aware, be clear, and then be purified. So this idea of being aware, he says this in verse 10. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, circumcision party. And then he ends the section in verse 16 and he says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable. They're disobedient. They're unfit for any good work. Paul's not pulling any punches here. Like he's laying it out there. Whoever these people are and whatever they are teaching, he sees as a serious detractor to the community of grace and to the community of Jesus. He's not telling Titus to go on a... I mean, we need to be careful here. He's not saying go on a witch hunt. Don't go, don't go looking for all of this, right? Or even to be worried about it. He says, be aware, be alert. Don't be surprised when these things rise up. Of whom... And of what are we to be aware, therefore? So he, first he calls them insubordinate. Man, that is a heavy-duty word. What is insubordinate? Well, it's rebellion against some kind of authority. That's the general understanding. But the word also means unrestrained or can mean independent. Is Paul primar- primarily talking about people who are insubordinate to... Is Paul saying, hey, Titus, you need to make sure that you subordinate other people? Or that these elders, need, you need to make sure that people are submitted to these elders. Is that what he's saying? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I don't think that's where he's going. And why do I say that? Because he's telling them, he's telling him to put, in, put the structure in place. He's saying, you need to go and appoint elders. The elders aren't even there yet. So I don't think that he could be talking about being subject to the elders into the church at this point because they had not been appointed yet. These detractors of grace are standing independent or unrestrained from what then? What's he he talking about? Well, he talked about in verse 9, if you have your Bible, you can look up at the verse right before this, about holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught, which is what? It's the apostolic teaching about Jesus. It's the teaching about Jesus. Hold firm to the teaching about Jesus. Their insubordination is not to some hierarchical church structure or to some rules or to some rulers. It's insubordination to Jesus. This is what Paul is telling Titus to be aware of. Those who are making a declaration of independence from Jesus. And instead, they were realigning themselves with what he calls the circumcision party. Apparently, there was Jewish influence that Paul's had to deal with in other places. You know, you can read about this when he talks to Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus, or the book of Galatian, uh, the Galatia, the, the letter to the Galatians. You can see some of these things. People who were coming in and they were trying to pull others out from underneath the gracious rule of Christ, back under the oppressive rule of religious myths and human commandments. He says, don't, don't, don't. There are going to be people who are trying to do that, who are trying to bring you out from under Jesus and put you back under this yoke of slavery. He says, be aware of this. He says, their independence, many of them have become, therefore, empty talkers and deceivers. What is empty talkers? It's idle talkers. One Greek dictionary calls them windbags. They're windbags. There's emptiness in their speech. This could be ramblings or teachings or opinions that are not rooted in God's word. 
They're just talking about stuff, this empty talk. And whether they know it or not, they are deceiving others by their independence and their empty words. This is what's happening. He says, you need to be aware of this. How easy is it to be an empty talker? (laughs) Wow, this is one who has to talk for a living. How easy is it to be an empty talker? And to intentionally or maybe unintentionally deceive by throwing out our opinions and our ideas and our speculation and exalting it as something more than it is. So with that, it's why we value reading the Bible. It's why we value teaching the Bible as God's word and submission to Jesus as the culmination of the biblical story. The community of grace needs to feed on a healthy diet of sound doctrine. We need teachable humility, allowing us not to just fill ourselves with empty words and our ears with empty words, but a healthy, the healthy full words to speak over us. That's why we read, read Scripture even throughout the service. Why is that? Because we need the healthy word spoken into us and over us. There's lots of places we can go to get good advice, right? Lots of great places you can go to get good advice. The Bible gives us good news about the life giver. We need that. So Paul tells Titus uh, and us, be aware. Keep your eyes open for those who might get caught up in teachings that can lead you away from the, the truth. So, of course, we want to be aware of others, right? But again, we want to be careful not to be going on witch hunts. We also want to be aware of where this is happening in us, maybe where we are being drawn away or drawn into something that is not healthy. Okay, so as this happens, we become aware, then what? Well, we need to be clear, he says. Be clear with what? Well, he says in verses uh, 11 and 13 uh, that those things that are coming from these disruptors, they need to be silenced, silenced, and rebuke them sharply, verse 13. Meaning what? Don't give that deceitful religious emptiness a platform. Why? Are we censoring people? Are we, are we trying to hide the truth? No, that's, that's, that's the opposite. We're, we're actually trying to, to feed on the truth. What is truly healthy, we want to bring that to the table. This contrary doctrine is doing what to people? Why is that so important to silence this? Well, because of what it's producing. What's it producing? It has unhealthy results. This is what he says in verse 11. They are upsetting whole families. This word for upsetting is not used many times in the New Testament. It's used another time. Paul uses it in the book of, uh, no, yeah, 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 no, where is that? Oh, no, John. Okay, John uses this. John uses this in verse 2, this idea of upsetting. And he says this. This is when he goes into the temple, and he makes a cord of whips, and he runs people out. And it says about that incident, he says, he poured, Jesus poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. That is the same word as upsetting. You are upsetting. You are overturning things. This teaching is bringing unhealthy division into families and into communities. It's turning the tables over. 
So then he goes on. It's, it's not just the teaching. It's also the results. It was the motive of the teaching that was unhealthy. Because he goes on to say, they're, they're wreaking havoc, havoc by teaching for shameful gain what they should not teach. They're not only teaching what is unhealthy and what's untrue. They're doing so for shameful gain, for some, which is what? Some kind of personal gain. Maybe they're doing it because maybe they're trying to get money, right? It's the televangelist thing. Maybe they're trying to get money. Maybe they're trying to get a following. Maybe they're trying to control people. Maybe they're trying to oppress people. It could be all kinds of things. Then he quotes one of their ancient poets, a saying that's attributed to... Uh, Epimenides. 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 This is from like the 6th century BC. So this is hundreds of years before Paul is actually writing. So he's quoting some ancient poet that they would have known. And he says this, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own said, Cretans, they're always liars. They're evil beasts. They're lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. And so this Greek word, for lie, they actually adopted a word that's connected to the Cretans, and the the word is kritizo. Uh, it means to lie. So the the people were so known for being liars and gluttons, that kind of a thing, that they created a word based on those people. So Paul's calling out how the Cretan culture was characterizing these distractors in the church, right? How much of a challenge is this for us, right? He, what he's calling out, he's saying, what's happening in the church looks like the culture. They're evil beasts, they're liars, they're lazy gluttons. How does that speak into our life? How often do, does the unhealth of our culture and our society enter in and shape our culture as God's people? What would that be for us? I mean, this is something for us to contemplate. Like, how have we maybe adopted the unhealth of, of culture, right? Allowed that to come into our communities, and it characterizes us. I don't know. I mean, think about, think about the anger that's, that we see in the world, especially like in the political world. How often have we seen that rise up within the church? Or just this idea of independence, right? This becomes a value. This is a value in our culture, right? How often have we adopted this idea of independence and that becomes an, part of the identity of God's people too? There's some things that we can think about, we can pray about, we can be aware of as we move forward and to bring some clarity to. Unhealthy doctrine comes with it unhealthy characteristics, Unhealthy doctrine produces unhealthy lives. So when we see this happen, we must not only be aware, we have to bring clarity to the differences. We've got to silence it. We need to not give it room to grow. Don't wa- let's don't water the unhealth. Then he goes into verse 13, and he follows up with this. Rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply. So sharply is, could be rigorous. It could be severely. This idea of being careful. Rebuke them like with care. With care. Rebuke means bring to light. So this is where Paul actually uses this particular word. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. It's the same word. Exposed. Rebuke. 
Rebuking is exposing. Exposing is this idea of, of rebuking. Rebuke what? What are we supposed to rebuke? All that he just talked about that these independent, empty, talking deceivers were doing and saying because of the unhealth that was spreading. He says, bring these things to the light. You can't let cancer go unchecked. It's, well, I would say it's not probably the healthiest thing. So Fran, a couple weeks ago, had, a couple weeks ago? Last week. She had some, like, skin, is it called skin cancer? Okay, yeah, little skin cancer spots. So I don't know if you saw her last week, but she was all bandaged up. That was not because I did anything to her, okay? <laughs> Just so you know. So she had, some sur- she had some surgery. Why? Because she had cancer cells. What are cancer cells? They're deadly cells. And you have to be clear as to what is the unhealthy cell and what's the healthy cell. And get out the healthy cell, the unhealthy cell. Remove it. That's what she had done. It's a painful process, but it has to be done. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to bring it to the light. We want the unhealth dealt with, the unhealthy cells. We want to be removed from our midst when we have them. What does this mean in practice? Okay, how do we put this into practice? Because this could go, this could go south, actually. If we're not careful, we could do this in a bad way. Someone, let's say, is sharing their thoughts or wrestling with their opinions that maybe doesn't align with healthy doctrine. Um, As we understand it, what do we do? We jump on them, right? Get out of here. Kick them out. Is that what you do? Okay, is that what Paul's saying to do? Let's be faithful to what Paul's saying to do. Okay, Paul is saying those who are imposing this teaching, they're spreading this teaching as doctrine. That's very different from us struggling with our unbeliefs or struggling with things that may not be the healthiest. We actually want to give people the room to process in this place. We want to be a people who can open up the doors and say, share where you are in things. Be honest. If those thoughts are contrary to the gospel, we don't have to promote the idea. We don't have to go put a big banner on, the, on our wall saying we're supporting all the ideas that we all have, right? Nor do we invite them necessarily to teach on that thing. We don't have to do that. Our responsibility is not to give everyone and every idea a platform. That, that's not what our responsibility is as a, as a community of Jesus. But with humility, we can keep talking and listening and learning and bringing the biblical gospel clarity to the conversation. How are you with this? Is that good? Are, are, we, are, we, here? are we good? Are we hearing this? These are important, man. This is a knife. This is a razor edge. We want to do, we want to do this well. Right? As a Jesus community, all we are saying, this is what we are saying, this is what we are proclaiming, this is what we do every time we gather together. We are mutually submitting to Jesus. And maybe you're not a Jesus follower yet, but you're invited into this community because you're wrestling. Do I want to submit to Jesus? That's a great place to be. Like, question whether you want to. This is what we do as a Jesus community. We submit to Jesus. We stand under him as the truthful word to find our lead and direction. We look to Jesus for that. In the church, the battle for who is king has already been decided. There's there's only one clear victor who is worthy to have all things subject under his feet. We believe Jesus. Okay, 
every four years, we're not going to have an election to find out who's going to be king of the church. It's decided. We believe Jesus and his kingship is over us and will one day be realized cosmically. That has been put to rest in our community. We're not going to question that. We understand. So when we gather here, I don't know if you guys noticed this. I think I'm going to say this. We used to have two flags that were in here. I don't know if y'all remember that. One of them was the American flag. It's not here. It's over here. If you ever go back to the bathroom, you'll see it. That is not in any way on my part to, to dishonor the amazing country that we live in. But there is only one flag that we fly in our community. We are under one banner. Okay? This is important for us to remember to whom we belong. Yes, we can have secondary identities, secondary citizenships. But when we come together as God's people, we have one identity. We have one citizenship. This is vitally important for us. For now, we understand, therefore, that not everybody is going to embrace that. Right? Let's be super clear. We do this, and we are weirdos in the world. Right? We are not here to impose him on the world, but to present him to the world by demonstrating what it looks like to live under him in the things that we do and the things that we say. Not to impose it on the world, but to go into the world as he has come into the world, to serve and to demonstrate what it looks like to live under his authority. Just yelling at people, telling them that their views are heretical, without showing the better way, tends to do what? You heretic, how do you respond to that? Right? I may need you to tell me that, but how do you respond to that? Typically, that pushes people away. It drives people away. That's not our goal. What is the goal? What is the goal according to what Paul says? To shame them, to kick them out. Is that his goal? Is that what his goal is? That's not his goal. How do I know that? Because of what he says in verse 13. What's his goal? That they may be sound in the faith. He's not actually trying to drive them out. He's trying to drive them to, to Jesus, not devoting themselves to things that turn away from the truth. The purpose of silencing, of rebuking, right, of bringing to the light is to help strengthen our faith and our belief in the faithful one and to bring clarity about what is unhealthy, about what is untrue in comparison to the one who is true. Our job, our responsibility, our privilege is to bring clarity about this. How do we do this? How do we do this when we fall prey to the very thing that we're supposed to stand against? To independent, empty deception. Okay, we're supposed to stand against this. Okay, what happens when all of a sudden we realize... Maybe even like what he says in verse 15. He says, to the, to the defiled, the unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. What do we do when we not only see this in one another, maybe, or we see this outside, but we actually start seeing that within ourselves? Now, what do we do with that? When we become aware and clear that in comparison to the purely healthy one, we are impure. When we find out that we are actually impure, now where do we go? This is a legit question because if we don't 
if we don't address this question, man, we are going to be in a dangerous place, in a very dark place. Where do we go? Well, we go back to verse 15. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. Apparently, you have to be pure. You, you have to be pure to live pure. Uh, okay, how do we get pure when we aren't pure? That's, how do we do that? Well, try harder. Be more in, stop being so insubordinate. Stop being an empty talker. Start, stop deceiving people. Stop it. Just stop it. Just try harder. Try harder. How does that work for you? How does that work? Just try harder. I mean, do I want you to stop being mean? Sure I do. But is that going to actually change you? Is that going to make you pure? It doesn't work. It'd be like, it's like robbing your next door neighbor of a million dollars and then buying them a $25 gift certificate to Chili's. I mean, come on. What good does that do? Right? Or, or, you, or you feel like you, put, so you go and you work out, super sweaty, super smelly, you're nasty, but you take off your sweaty clothes and you just put on some clean clothes without showering or putting on deodorant. How does that work? Well, before long, BA, the, BA, the BO is going to start seeping through. The world is going to know that you stink. So no matter how hard you try, this sense of impurity, the, the defilement, is like a stain and a stench that we can't, we can't get all, off of us. We can't get out of us. It even feels like the harder we try, like the harder we scrub, the, I don't know, the deeper we realize the stain goes. Or maybe even sometimes the, the harder you scrub, the more it spreads. Like, have you ever had an ink spot on a shirt and you try to rub the ink spot out? How does that work? Oh my gosh, what has just happened? It spreads everywhere. Who can save me from this body of stench and stain? We need a deeper cleansing. We need a deeper purification that we can't provide for ourselves. Anyone who is teaching a way of purification that is self-purification, no matter how good their teaching is on so many other areas and so many other things, they are giving a doctrine contrary to the biblical gospel. Please hear this. This is, this is the clincher. This is the unhealthy doctrine that we must stand against. Self-purification. Grace communities grow in practicing purity of true goodness, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control by believing and trusting the truth and having the truth embrace us. What truth? For heaven's sakes, what is truth? When it comes to this, it has two aspects to it. It's the truth of our impurity and the truth of God's cleansing. Our impurity, like we've got to acknowledge that our default to seek independence, or you could even say to save myself, whatever you think of saving yourself is, that the idea of saving ourselves, our deep our, our deeper dirt and corruption and twistedness is then exposed. We become aware of the unhealth within us, 
Even when we start going down that road, we start seeing the unhealth. Even our attempt to be religious by doing what Paul says, professing to know God, we can deny him by our works, especially when those works are an attempt, a pitiful attempt to cleanse ourselves. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to to clean myself, God. I'm going to clean myself. No. The The truth begins with acknowledging that left to myself And in comparison to the truly pure one, my impurity is filthy rags. Man, it's way too great for me to handle. I can't handle it. So that's part one, right? This impurity. And then part two, God offers his free true cleansing. He offers a free baptism. He offers a free bath. How? By believing in and surrendering to Jesus. Okay, what, what are we believing about that doctrine? Surrendering to Jesus. Okay, what do we mean by this? We see Jesus in his life as the incomparably beautiful one, as the truly pure one. Certainly, next to my life, his purity shines. Nothing compares to his Like when you see him, nothing compares to his purity and his goodness. And especially when I stand next to him, I realize just how bright he shines. This is part of it, his purity. But how does his cleanness, because he's perfectly clean, how does that help me? Well, in his purity, he took the dirt in our impurity. Okay, this is something you hear Christians talk about. How does that work? This is one way to consider it, to think about it. How does this work? He gave himself to us. And rather than bowing down to him as he deserved, what did we do when he gave himself? When he came and he just gave himself. Like think about his life. Read the gospel accounts. What did he do? Constantly giving himself, caring for others, giving away himself for the health of others. What did we do? We used him. Hey, Jesus, come and do this for me. Hey, Jesus, feed us. We used him, which is what we had always done to God. This is just the story of the human race. We have always used God. Every breath I take, how thankful am I am to him? Every time my heart beats, how thankful am I am to him? All the good gifts that I have, how thankful. I use him. We use him. And now in Jesus, we're using God in the flesh. Now we have, now we have a face to put to God and we use him. But of course, we didn't stop by just using him, did we? We just use him? No, we cursed him. We abandoned him. We killed him. This was a demonstration of our filth. You want to see a picture of our filth? Look at that. This is a demonstration of our, of our filth. Rather than honoring him, we rejected him as evil and we executed him as a criminal. How much filthier can we get? And in all of this, he was taking our filth. He, he, he took it. He was taking our filth from us, and he was taking our filth for us by accepting the death, by not retaliating, right? He could have retaliated. He could have called down the angels, right? And he didn't do that. He didn't retaliate. He took the death, and then he returned from death with peace. He absorbed our guilt, and he offered absolution. We call it forgiveness. We call it cleansing. He offers this. He stood in the gap as a sort of innocent sacrifice to provide purification to a new life. You walk through his waters, and he brings us out the other side to a new kind of life. This purification is ours as we surrender to him. How, does, how do you get access to this? Surrender to him. 
believe. That's it. Believe what? Believe that he is the pure one whose sacrifice is legit to remove guilt. And what guilt are you holding on to? What shame are you living in? That he says, come to me, all you who are shameful and weary laden, and I will wash you. Paul's going to discuss this more in chapter 2 that we'll get in in several weeks, where he says this. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He's purifying. This is the healthy doctrine, the true doctrine. It's not a religious myth. It's not the command of man. It is the work of God. What is the true doctrine? It is the work of God, not our work. It's the free doctrine. And it's the freeing doctrine. And as we feed on this doctrine, it can't help but make us a people of grace. That is food of grace. It can't help us when we feed on it to make us a people of grace, continually purified by grace so that we can move out and we can carry that grace into the world. Father, we need to know the sound doctrine, the healthy doctrine. It's so easy for us to get sidetracked and to to mix in these impurities and to lead towards to walk towards some sense of our own self-purification and self-salvation. But that is actually the road of death. It's the road that led us to killing your son. Lord, help us just to be honest of our impurity and to see you as the pure one who is willing to cleanse us. We ask this in your name. Amen.